Hello, my name is Kevin Murphy, and this is the Thriving After Surviving podcast. I'm coming to you from Largo, Florida today. I've got three great guests. This show, this podcast, is sponsored by the Phyllis Foundation, and that foundation has got this podcast off the ground in the hopes that we can help people uh, as far-reaching as possible. If you would like to help keep this podcast going, the Phyllis Foundation address is P.O. Box 560, Union, Kentucky, 41091. And if you would care to donate to that, that would be terrific. My website is thrivingaftersurviving.com, and you can learn all about what the goal and mission of this podcast is for the future. I am today very blessed to be at a great place. It used to be called UMCM, Suncoast. And recently, this organization uh, had a bit of a sea change in 2019 and 2020. And now it is an organization dedicated to the use of inherent intelligence, passion, and drive in their clients and to support them to change the world. How about that for a mission statement? That's a bold mission statement. I like bold mission statements. I am blessed to be with Dr. Christina Lombardi Davis, who just got her PhD. Congratulations, doctor. Thank you. She is the director of early learning programs here at Learning Empowered. In 2019, the name of this organization changed. Am I right? Yes, it did. Okay. With me also is Cecilia Messina. She is the Donor Engagement Manager. And of course, great organizations like this need to be funded. And through the generosity of people who can afford to help others, uh, listen to what these people are going to tell you and what they do uh, for children and families. Also with me is Andrea Lipka, the Director of Integrated Learning. Welcome, ladies. Thank you thank for you. having us. Thank you for um, uh, coming on and thank you for what you do. So, from what I understand about this great organization, you help children and families rise above adversity, flourish in their communities, and find a place to call home. Yes. I also read that you alleviate uh, the symptoms and address the causes of poverty, uh, and you do so through innovative educational programs, yes? Yes. Right. All right, let's, let's have, educate everybody about what you do. Who would like to start? You're the, you got the PhD, <laughs> so I think you need, to, uh, you need to start. I will start. Um, our learning is holistic. So while we have four early learning centers, which is preschools, we focus on servicing those who would not normally be able to access quality education. So that's first. Second, we ensure that all of our children, no matter what obstacles they are facing, are able to be ready for kindergarten and be successful in kindergarten. And then third, kind of uniquely to the preschool setting, is our family engagement piece. 
So we also uplift the families. We meet them where they're at and help them overcome their obstacles as well. So that could be um, helping them get a new job, helping them get their GED, go to college. It could be just applying for food stamps, getting better housing. It is our goal to help our families also become self-sustaining because research has shown if the family is self-sustaining and happy and understand their child's development, the child's going to be more successful in the long run. And this is a great way to break the chain of poverty, isn't it? Absolutely. Because if uh, the parents thrive, the children thrive. And if the parents are struggling, uh, fighting among themselves, because that's one of the biggest mm -hmm. issues between couples, uh, money, uh, the children suffer. That is correct. So how do you go about doing it? So we use a curriculum for the children to ensure they're getting what they need to be academically prepared. But we also have trainings and programs for the families as well. So we have parent trainings on understanding your child's development, on financial stability, on understanding credit, how to shop with your food stamp dollars. Um, we have a class called the Nurturing Family, which is understanding how you were disciplined in the past, kind of letting go of that and creating your own identity for a stronger discipline. So that way they are ready for public school. I wish you were around uh, to educate World War II fathers <laughs> because I still have some marks for mine. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, is, uh, that is great. Now, you're uh, in various spots in the community, aren't you? We are. The early learning centers, we have one in Clearwater. Mm -hmm. We have three in St. Petersburg, actually. We have one in South St. Pete, one kind of in Central St. Pete, and one um, Children of the World Preschool is on 62nd Avenue North, so almost north, um, St. Pete's. Now three of, I just want to also say that while all of our center, the early learning centers, do target families of trauma, um, one of them has been in existence for oh, about 30 years now, and it targets refugee families as well. So on top of the holistic learning we're getting, we're also doing the um, acclimating to culture piece of being in America and what that means. It may be citizenship classes, it may be English classes. Um, so we're doing that for the families as well on top of the child learning. So tell me, Andrea, what do you do? Um, just uh, piggybacking on your idea, um, we also offer citizenship programs and uh, ESOL, which is uh, English for um, learners of second languages. And uh, we are offering ready to rent. Um, so we are following a content-based language teaching uh, in terms of our citizenship classes and ESOL classes. Um, the ESOL classes are open to everybody in the community, whether they are undocumented or documented. Uh, and these classes are free. The citizenship classes are, the, the focus of the classes is to put um, uh, people on the path of naturalization. Um, so typically, the, our uh, students are uh, documented immigrants. In addition to these classes, uh, the citizenship is basically ESOL embedded teaching. Um, so we still teach the language 
but the content is the citizenship curriculum. Um, we offer, we are one of the very few programs that offer free legal um, services for um, citizens, or not citizens, I apologize, uh, for community uh, uh, residents that are 200% below the poverty line. So our desired population to serve is the people in need, in financial need. And you put these people uh, on a path to try to obtain citizenship, yes? yes? And help them uh, learn the language? Yes. Uh, learn the history of the country? Yes. Very good, very good. So tell me about um, early learning initiatives. I think that is something that is so necessary in this country. Tell me about it, how you start uh, children early and, and how, to, how you educate them. Mm -hmm. Brain development or research um, states that you need to get the, we need to get these children day one, even in infancy uh, when they are born. It's through interactions, talking to your baby, spending time with your baby, the quality of the nurture versus, you know, um, it's all about interaction. And the more you interact with young children, the more the brain is developed and the more they can interact back. Um, studies show that reading at the reading level, it is imperative that they're at the third grade lead, reading level at third grade. Um, otherwise, um, they may not finish high school. Uh, their trajectory, trajectory is not as great. Um, I read an article once by a very smart uh, man, a syndicated columnist, and he said that 90% of our nation's poverty mm -hmm. um, is because of the lack of educational opportunities. Absolutely. He also said, he also gave this credible statistic that you're executive director uh, and my friend Matthew Rosen would know. He said um, criminals, when you go to court, they have one or more of three things in common. They dropped out of high school, they had a child before 21, they committed a crime before 21. Mm -hmm. And if we could eliminate those things, we could uh, virtually eradicate not only uh, criminal behavior but poverty and it starts early doesn't it it does absolutely there actually there was a state and it's been a while since I've read this study as well when they do the third grade level reading tests the standardized tests this state was actually building prison beds by the number of children who failed those reading assessments which is really sad which means that you know we really need to work on the early childhood development. We also need to focus on the families and getting them past their traumas and giving them the assistance, so that way they know how to assist their babies. And they they won't pass the scars that they have Absolutely. onto their children. Absolutely. So where do these um, children gather to uh, get tutored or, or taught? In these four locations? Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. And is there a cost involved to them? There is no cost as of right now. Um, 
we partner, we are funded partially by the Juvenile Welfare Board. Um, so we also partner with some home visiting agencies. So not only are the children being educated through us and assisted with parents, but all of our families that when they first come to us have a home visitor to give them even some extra coaching, um, some extra parental trainings and, and whatnot. So our families are referred to us based on need. The home visitors feel, you know what, this family could really use this, we call it a golden ticket, because childcare in today's society is extremely expensive. Um, so they're getting, in essence, they can have four years for free. Um, and so they feel that their families or clients are working their curriculum and home visiting program well. Wouldn't it be great if we can just give them this one extra step so they can become even more self-sustaining? And Cecilia, isn't it true that if we get these youngsters into early learning programs so that they can thrive in grade school and high school, mm -hmm. aren't we doing wonders for the community? We are. We are doing a great thing for the community because we're helping break that intergenerational cycle of trauma and poverty. And so when we are able to break those cycles, those people become employable, they become uh, positive, uh, productive members of the community, and they become part of the fabric of, of the community that makes it the place that you and I and everyone else would want to live in. Um, I'd like to touch upon the fact that we are only partially funded uh, by the Juvenile Welfare Board for our early learning centers, and uh, our other programs are 100% dependent on uh, members of the community that want to see these types of um, programs continue and become successful so that everyone has that opportunity to live what we normally term the American dream. And when your executive director, Matthew Rosen, uh, contacted me and I started to look at this organization for the first time, it dawned on me that the people that might be listening to this podcast, you are paying lots of tax dollars to feed people and house people in prisons. Yes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could stop doing that by sending some of your money to this organization? I have to agree with you on that. Um, that would be wonderful. And uh, as Christina mentioned, studies have shown that when you are able to get with the children from birth um, and getting them to read, you know, testing now starts in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So these children are, are on the line the minute, the, within the first 30 days of entering kindergarten, all the way through third grade. Um, and we have been able as an organization to do uh, some follow-up on some of our students that have been with us at these Centers for Early Learning uh, through the third grade sometimes through siblings, sometimes the f through just the continuous family contact to ensure that what our success rates are. And we have seen that our students, even coming from these kind of trauma-centered backgrounds, are doing as well, if not better, than some of those students who would have come from a home that we would term as, in quotes, normal, with, without what we would call that trauma uh, centered uh, family lifestyle. So we know that what we're doing works, but it does take funding, yes. 
When I first became a teacher, uh, I, I taught for three years. My very first uh, day in, um, the teachers get together first. And I was teaching seventh and eighth grade. And I was giving a list by the sixth grade teachers of the students that were really going to be problematic for me. And some of their negative comments about them shocked me, actually. Mm -hmm. So when they came in the first week, you know, I, I spotted them. And I just decided I would spend a little extra time with them. And we would get a wiffle ball game, and then I would bring them back for 30 minutes of reading. Whoever lost the game had to come in to read. <laughs> and I watched as their test scores went higher and higher and higher mm -hmm. because somebody cared about them, mm -hmm. somebody loved them, mm -hmm. and somebody had the knowledge to know how important it is that you do not give up on children. Okay. Am I right? Absolutely. They need children and their families. They need to feel love. They need to be feel trust. They need to feel safe. Safety, I think, would be, would, with the population we're serving is the most important. Once you build on that, and then you help the other basic needs, food, housing, that kind of thing, then they can learn. If they don't have the love and safety and security, they will never learn. So that's the first step. Uh, anybody of the three of you jump in on this. One of the things that I've noticed about um, children my daughter's age, millennials and Gen Zs, is because of phones and emails, their social skills have taken a drastic downturn. They don't interact very well with others because they don't know how. And if you walk around every city, you'll see everybody in cities walking with earpieces. Nobody's talking to each other. Getting children very early on to learn how to interact with others, tell me how important that is to their success. That's critical. It's absolutely critical. Um, we focus on social emotional, again, social emotional development first. Communicating. <clears throat> learning feelings, being able to identify your feeling, to know when you're angry, why you're angry, and what you can do when you're angry is key. Once the social-emotional piece happens between zero and three, sometimes two, depending on where the child is at, then they can start learning the academics. They won't even get to the, ac they won't be able to developmentally get to the academics unless they have some foundation of social-emotional. So it's critical. and. I agree. The personal, one-on-one -on -one interactions, talking to your child, even when you're in the car. Because a lot of times today, you know, I'm driving and I'm stuck in traffic a lot. So I'm looking and everybody's even in the car, children right. included in the back seat, not so much the drivers, but the children. Well, what about playing a game? What do you see out the window? How was your day? It's conversation. My youngest daughter just had... Um, her first child. I became a grandfather last week, folks. Mazel tov, bro. Thank you, Mazel thank tov. you. And one of the things she said to me was, I am so glad that you told me not to watch uh, 
the computer as much, uh, that you shut me down, mm -hmm. that you said, okay, you, you've had an hour, get off, mm -hmm. because I'm already thinking about what rules and regulations I'm going to have for my own son. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Where do you find, Andrea, your, uh, I'm sorry, yes, Andrea, where do you find your volunteers? From the local community. So some of our volunteers um, uh, actually observed the class a couple of times in, um, in St. Petersburg, um, and we have an elderly lady. Uh, I think she's 80 years old. Uh, and she's always there. Um, she has been our volunteer for already a couple of years. And then we have uh, a young uh, person who has been our student uh, a couple of years ago. And um, so the local community supports us, but also our former, uh, some of our former students come back. Uh, we also tend to keep in touch with our former students to invite them back each uh, to our classes to talk about what do I have to do to successfully pass the immigration interview or how to how did I what kind of questions can I get in an interview how can I answer those questions to share their experiences with our incoming students um, but we always can use more volunteers. Um, some of our classes don't have volunteers. And when you are a teacher um, and you are having a multi-level class, multi-level means that you have students, and I talk about adult learners um, in this instance, with various um, skills, it is very difficult to teach. Um, so we would welcome volunteers to take part in our citizenship and ESOL classes so that they can talk to our students, interact with our students. Our biggest need is um, to have interaction, to have students speak uh, more instead of being in a class. So if we could have volunteers to do role play, uh, games. Um, we also have, I know you talked about computers, but we do have iPads. And, Everybody um, has to have knowledge now. Well, Everybody. we just we just got iPads uh, now, and um, you know we I know we said a lot of negative comments about technology, but um, the um, application process, uh, the doc documentation uh, is often submitted online. So we do have um, elderly students that we are teaching how to use technology. They are not comfortable. Uh, we teach them how to use the stylus pens, how to fill out the form online. So for us, technology, it's very important. Oh, I, I, if I gave that impression, uh, that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. I, I just... Um, I get 100 to 150 emails a day, and yeah. I, I sometimes just want to jump off a cliff because <laughs> I can't do anything, mm -hmm. you know, offensive. I'm always on the on the defensive. But yes, and while can I just say, and while it is important that at a children's level that they're learning through interaction and play, we also have to incorporate technology into our learning as well because. Once they get into kindergarten, again, that's those first 30 days of kindergarten, they're assessed. They're assessed on an iPad or a laptop, and so they're going to have to know how to manipulate. So I think with, you know, some time restrictions, there's a benefit to everything. It, it, you're right. It's not all negative. It's how you manage it. I also want to add in, uh, just to tie in the adult 
child-centered education with the child-centered education, what you both have actually been saying is that the engagement with the student is the key, which is one of the things that we do. We engage one-on-one -on -one with our students, whether it's through volunteers or the teachers or through community supporters and members, because that's how people learn. Right. They learn through that one-on-one -on -one engagement, regardless of your age. Well, the world has become a much smaller place because of technology, and that's a very good thing. Uh, so this is, this is excellent about being able to send a child into uh, grade school already with, with knowledge of technology. Tell me how a person would be able to volunteer. Who do they contact? They could contact my office, uh, the donor engagement office. Um, they could uh, just con uh, look for learningempowered.org on the internet and there's a volunteer drop-down menu and they can send in their information. That's learning-empowered.org. And it's, you probably would prefer that they do it on the internet, but it, could they call? They can, and the phone number is 727-754-3929. Uh, I know from personal experience with uh, the Children's Law Center in Northern Kentucky, I was on the board for 20 years, Matthew, and we provided free legal advice to abused and neglected and handicapped children. And to see uh, the change in children when you can get them into schools, integrate them into normal schools, and also to see their faces when they know somebody's fighting for them. What a difference that makes, that somebody cares for them, how powerful love is. Uh, it, it can it, it change lives. It really enriched me to volunteer. Uh, it enriched me to go into homes to make certain that, you know, uh, that when a child was reunited with a mother after a period of time of separation, perhaps it was drugs or maybe a violence incident, and, and to, um, to see the child thrive, it is uh, a, a wonderful thing. So I would urge anybody in this community, in the Clearwater, Sarasota, Largo, and Tampa areas, uh, to volunteer. It, uh, I, will, I can promise you that if you do, you uh, will get such great joy out of it. Uh, to see that you are impacting other people's lives is a beautiful thing. And that's how you get grace. And that's a, a wonderful thing. So I am going to ask the most, uh, perhaps the most important people in the, person in the organization, when it, because you get the dollars. <laughs> yes. And it takes dollars to, to, run. to run this, doesn't yes. it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. As I said before, we are only partially funded by the Juvenile Welfare Board for our uh, early learning programs and the other two programs, Andrea, which is the director of integrated learning, we also have a community learning program which focuses on um, teaching uh, financial stability and uh, community stabilization. Those programs are 100% dependent on supporters, donors, and the community. So if there's somebody listening that wants to donate, 
how do they do it? Again, they can go online to learning-empowered.org. We have a donate button. We have very we have lots of options. You can become a monthly recurring donation donor. We have uh, giving circles. We have support a classroom. So you can pick and choose what your where your heart finds itself, and um, and no amount is too small, and obviously no amount is too large. So. If you can find it in your heart to um, contribute, uh, please do so. This is a terrific organization. And again, keep in mind, any successful child that comes out of this program is going to be a taxpayer, uh, a contributor to our society. And you're taking someone that is at risk, definitely at risk. They deal with at-risk children here. Uh, and they're changing the statistical data. They're taking these children who might have been on a path uh, to not doing well in school, then acting out, then getting in trouble, uh, to putting them on a road of hope uh, where they can travel, where they can get educated, where they can enjoy this country and become a contributing member of society. This is a beautiful place run by very, very wonderful people. So if you can um, volunteer, please do so. If you can contribute, please do so. Because this place not only needs to thrive, but it needs to survive. Thank you, ladies. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So folks, thank you very much for uh, listening to this podcast and for uh, in- introducing yourselves to these wonderful people. I. Uh, I'm going to uh, end this now by once again telling you that uh, this is Thriving After Surviving, and my website is thrivingaftersurviving.com, and it is being sponsored by my friends, by my clients, who have uh, learned for quite some time that doing this is in my heart. If you feel uh, that you can uh, help me out in that regard, send a check to the Phyllis Foundation, Post Office Box 560, Union, Kentucky, 41091. And again, the website is thrivingaftersurviving.com. Until next time, I look forward to um, another great podcast. Thank you. Hello, my name is Kevin Murphy, and this is the Thriving After Surviving podcast coming to you from Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, after I drove 980 miles from Sarasota to come back to the office. I had a court appearance that I needed to attend. It was an emergency for a temporary restraining order, and the courthouses are open when it comes to emergencies. And I noticed it was amazing how few cars were on the road. And when I stopped at rest areas, I could hear so many of the birds chirping. When you're traveling on highways, and even when you stop, the whir of the automobiles and the trucks, they take those nature sounds away from you. I read recently uh, an article about a woman who lives in New York City, right in the city. And she said, for the first time, Ever, she hears birds in the morning and she hears them at night because there's no cars on the street.
In the beginning, she said that she had an eerie feeling every time she would go out to try to get some food. And then it became a sick feeling of sadness. But as she has been quarantining herself, she has found that she's enjoying things that she never enjoyed before. One of those is the sound of the birds. The earth itself, you may have read, doesn't shake as much now. Seismologists uh, and scientists have come out with a report about that. The space shuttle is seeing things that it hasn't seen in many years due to smog. Cities like L.A. and Beijing, smog capitals of the world. A friend of mine lives in L.A., and he lives on a hill, and he could never see Bear Mountain because of the smog. And he told me that he keeps staring at it from his veranda. He can't get over it. He can't get over the beauty and how the world, supposedly normal, has robbed him of that. There are some people that are t taking this well, and there are some who are not. The question is why? Some people handle a crisis well. Some people aren't wired for it. If you're not, there are ways to learn how. Many people are exercising for the first time. I am forcing myself to walk two miles every day because sitting is killing me. And in what I do in writing and speaking and preparing for talks, I do a lot of sitting and it's not healthy. I find myself walking much more. I've been able to play golf cautiously, staying away. Uh, everybody gets into their own carts and that has helped me. But recently I had to go to the hospital for a CT myelogram that required me to have a needle in my back, actually several, where they shoot dye, then they tilt the table down so it goes to, towards your neck, and then they put me in the CT scan to take a look at my neck, which was hurt very badly thanks to a drunk driver in 2008. And when I arrived, they expected that my blood pressure was going to be high, and my doctor warned me that there's a certain point that they'll turn you away. And when I went there, my blood pressure was 117 over 72. I think the last time that happened, I might have been 30 years old, and I'm a lot older than that. I asked myself when I got home, because I had to rest, I had to lay, lay down uh, because of the spinal headache. I asked myself, why is your blood pressure normal? You're still working. You're still uh, writing and practicing law. What are, you, what are you doing? What's different? And I realized I'm calmer. I'm sleeping better. And I don't have the pressure of the office. It's fascinating. I've been thinking about how I maintain this and what I've learned from that.
We've been able to work remotely. We didn't think we could. We worried about it, my partners and I, but we've been able to work remotely. I like seeing people. I certainly miss people at restaurants. I have my favorite places to go to, and I love the people who work there, the waiters, the waitresses. Um, I know many of their families and their kids, and I just love visiting with them, and I miss them terribly. But I've been trying to frequent them with takeout orders and buying gift certificates so that they can survive. You can always use them in the future, and they can use their help now. I also find that I'm taking time to pray more, and that's been beneficial to me, to take the time to give to God, and also to give time to take care of myself. I've been exercising more during this quarantine period than I have in a long time, and that's simply by uh, walking and riding a stationary bike. On the internet, especially social media, never ever has it been more obvious to me about that wasteland than during this COVID-19 virus situation. There are people there that just spew negativity. And I find myself avoiding that as well. Negativity is not going to help. Ripping a certain politician is not going to help. Positivity, prayer, caring for each other, and loving each other. That's what's going to help. If someone's getting on your nerves at home, take a walk. Everybody's under a lot of stress. But stay in touch with your friends. We need to love each other during this period. This is an unbelievable opportunity to learn and grow. You've probably read it, but it's worth saying it. Uh, many, many famous philosophers, writers, and people so much smarter than me have said, uh, crisis also brings opportunity. Every crisis brings an opportunity. My opportunity has been to change my health habits, to try to walk more. I've had 21 surgeries, and I need to take better care of myself, and I'm, <clears throat> and I'm doing it. I've been able to write more. I've been able to stay in touch with my daughters more, because, let's face it, we're just not that busy. And I love those conversations with my daughters. I love them. You know, they're older now, they're in their 30s, and they have lives, and they have careers, and they have their own friends, and I miss those days when we were in the house together. But they're answering the phone because they're not out, and <laughs> it's great. It's just great to have lots of conversations with my children. And I just had a new grandchild, and while I can't, uh, I can't be that close right now, because we're being ultra, ultra, ultra careful. Uh, I do see him from a distance. And I did get to hold him in the hospital. 
when it was not as bad as it is now in terms of the actual numbers. So I hope to be interviewing people soon. I thought about interviewing folks on the telephone, but really for me personally, it's just not the same. I like to visit with people. The other thing I find interesting about this disease and this quarantining in place and businesses shut down is how the corporations have reacted. Uh, Ford Company, for instance. I only drove one Ford in my life and I loved it and gosh how I wish I had it back right now. A powder blue, four on the floor, Mustang, 19, I think it was 65. Oh, goodness gracious. 289 engine. I wish I had that car now. But Ford stepped up to the plate immediately to help, I believe, with ventilators. And Henry Ford, that whole company, has helped in crisis when, when America needed, World War II especially. Yet GM was much more difficult. Why? You know, it's amazing how certain companies put people first before dollars, and that's the smart way to go. If you have any type of belief system, you know that when you do these types of deeds, when you put others in front of yourself, it comes back in droves, tenfold. It is just, I believe it's a, it's a truth. It's happened in my own life. And there's a lot of companies out there that are not worried about their bottom line, they're worried about their people and they're paying their workers. And they're paying their health insurance. And there's some others that aren't. I'm keeping a mental list of those companies that are treating their employees well and those who have not, so I can avoid buying the bad guy's product. There are certain airlines that are paying attention to their employees and some that are not. Big business. You know, I know they owe duties to their shareholders. I get it. I do. But they have to understand that the wheels are greased by the employees. And I remember when Delta Airlines went through years ago, many years ago, I think it was in the um, early 80s, Delta went through a big dip, yet they did not lay anybody off. And the employees voluntarily took money out of their paychecks and actually bought a plane for Delta Airlines, and they had a special name for it, for which I don't remember, because the employees felt so wonderful that the company put them in front of the bottom line. And of course, Delta rebounded and went through the roof. That's what happens with the universe. That's what happens with God. If you don't believe in God, well, you know, just believe in 
karma. During this time frame, if you are fortunate, if you are not getting hurt because you have ample savings, try to find somebody that can use your help. Try to find somebody in need. Try to even, you know, call people who may be lonely. In Sarasota, on one of the news channels, there was a report about a veteran. He and his wife lost their jobs. And they didn't know how they were going to pay the rent. And they had a story about this man who did several tours in Iraq, highly decorated, but a large corporation put him out in the street. And the result was overwhelming. People calling the TV station, wanting to know how they can help him and, and, his, and his family. These are great things that are happening. And there's far, far more good going on than evil. But if you read social media and if you listen to the press, it's all gloom and doom. We have to have faith. This country has been through horrible crises before and have come out the other side stronger and more united than ever. So I would love to keep this podcast going with guests, but I'm doing what the governor of Kentucky and the governor of Florida has asked me to do. I'm going to continue to keep myself safe because I was a former fireman and had smoke inhalation once, and I'm one of those folks that could be a bit compromised. If I got this disease, I would be in trouble. But I also care about other people, and that's why I'm staying away from my grandson, uh, and it kills me. But if anything went wrong with him because I gave it to him, I don't know how I could live with myself. But I'll have my days with him, and I can't wait to take him to Cincinnati Reds games and take him on a plane to Yankee Stadium to see where his grandfather grew up. And those days are coming. Have faith. Stay well. Keep praying. When you feel frustrated or your temper is starting to flare, take a walk. Get outside. Pause someplace and close your eyes and listen to things you haven't heard perhaps in a long time. And know that you are loved and that you are going to be okay. I look forward to talking to you again very soon. And I hope it will be with a, a live witness. A witness, listen to me, that's my lawyer hat. A live guest that we can uh, talk about all the great things that people are doing in the world to help others. It's a gift to help others. When you help somebody, and I'm gonna preach this until the cows come home, not only do they benefit, but you do too, because it gives you the sense of accomplishment and purpose. And it's a wonderful feeling to know that you have changed a life and made, made someone breathe easier.
which is part of the definition of success of, of Ralph Waldo Emerson in that famous little vignette that he wrote called Success. So stay healthy. This is Kevin Murphy, Thriving After Surviving podcast, sponsored by the Phyllis Foundation. And I'm not going to be asking for any contributions to my podcast, to my foundation, until such time that everybody's on their feet, because that's the most important thing, hopefully getting back to normal soon. God bless.